0: I wanna give everybody just the acknowledgement right now that today's message is going to be hard and it's going to be fast. Um, there's gonna be some rapid fire scripture reading. I'm gonna try to convey as much of this information as possible uh, today as we dig into God's word. Um, and as we close out this last portion of our relationship series, we're gonna do so talking about one of the most, uh, one of the things that I'm most passionate about and that is the church. and we're gonna try to bring clarity where there might be a little uh, a lacking in clarity today. Um, I will say that today's message is gonna probably seem strong for you. I'm gonna speak as succinctly as possible and with as much clarity as possible. And so uh, show of hands, how many of you have been, uh, been offended in this series thus far? Just show of hands, okay. Um, if you haven't, today potentially we'll, we'll round that out. Um, but uh, I'm gonna take us to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses one to nine. This is gonna be the text that's gonna launch us into our conversation today. As well, as everybody has a heads up, I will be bringing some commentary uh, to the current ruling that has been passed down from the United States Supreme Court concerning the issue of abortion. And uh, that'll be later on in my message. But I found it appropriate that this message was developed long before anything has taken place this weekend. And so I am 100% blown away, first and foremost, about the sovereignty and the goodness of God is that this message was prepped long before this moment. So with that being the tenor of this afternoon, I read to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses one to eight, and it says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as to one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Verses one through to five, as I pause, is Peter's acknowledgement to those who have been trusted with the leadership and care of the church. In this specific instance, he designates them as elders. We know them as pastors and other types of titles that have been generated towards them, but he gives us a pretty strong and succinct reality when it comes to how we are to lead. He's gonna shift his attention now to verse five, and he says, in the same way, you who are younger, it's a designation that he's making both as age and a spiritual designation as well that those who may not be as informed in their Christian walk to be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, resist him. Come on, I said resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Today, as we finish out this little mini-series, Happily Before and After, within our series, You Are Here, I wanna speak to you from this subject right here, Alanis Morissette, eighth grade dances and ecclesiology. (laughs) As we talk about the design, the function, and purpose of the church, and the people that make it up. Will you pray with me just one more time? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And God, that your word is a tool to which penetrates our hearts, it penetrates to the core of who we are, it separates Joey Famaro. And so God, I pray that as your truth is proclaimed today, that light would be shed, that truth would be found and freedom would be lived in. So we thank you for your word today. And God, if there would be any offensive way in me right now, I pray that you would remove it. And I pray today that I would speak your word with diligence and clarity, with humility. God, that you would move me out of the way so that your church would hear the goodness of your gospel today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church, shout in. Amen. Amen. Um, I can distinctly remember an eighth grade dance that I was at. Um, I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, where we listened to real music like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana and come on, like some of of those bands when when real music was made. And so, um, (laughs) but one such artist that came out during that time was an artist known by Alanis Morissette. And regardless of what you think about her and her music, um, it was always a staple at dances. And I remember this one, eighth grade dance and I was in an auditorium, I can almost smell it, I could picture it, I could see the basketball hoops and the stage and and the awkward preteens who were standing on each side of the room. Guys over here, girls over there. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And the teachers over here watching and paying attention. And then how many of you realize there was always two rogue couples though? That would break out and they would just go to the middle of the dance floor like that they they were they were all in their own space it was great but i remember alonis morissette comes on and a couple couples would go out but for the most part these these eighth graders stood on opposite sides of the auditorium looking at who was going to make the first move looking at a part like what what do they think about that person what does that guy think about her what does that girl think about him paying attention to the teachers and there was this awkward relationship that was that was captured in this auditorium a bunch of amongst a bunch of eighth graders. I was thinking about that the other day and I thought to myself, man, the church is a lot like that. Right? Awkwardly staring at each other at times, trying to figure out what we do with relationships. Seemingly some people over here and some people over here. Then you have leaders, chaperones, if you will, that are paying attention and trying to go like this. Come on, everybody. I bring you that illustration today because I think that's how the church operates and we need to speak into it because that's not how we've been called to operate. Specifically when it is in reference to what we would call ecclesiastical leadership and authority and the body of believers or the the priesthood of believers. We will talk about those terms in just a few moments. But today I wanna give you a very quick summation to the best of my ability about this subject matter known as ecclesiology, the study of the church. Now to be fair, much of the relational hesitation that we see in church is not due to a lack of ability of dancing or the dislike of Alanis Morissette, it's much deeper and more complex than that. Many of us carry confusion, hurt, and shame because of our experiences in church. Some of us carry misrepresentations and fear and generalizations and lack of knowledge. Other of us come from a no faith background whatsoever. So we come in here today simply not understanding and potentially thinking that much of what we see is weird, out of place, irrelevant, and potentially out of touch. And yet others in here come today combative, having been culturalized by the world and seeing the church as a place of judgment and greed, narcissism, manipulation, and emotive feeder. And while experiences. May have produced these perspectives and potentially many others, there is a true north. There is a proper identity that the church has and is. One is such that has been designed by the grace and the presence and the authority of God. One that has been inaugurated by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, and stewarded by centuries of faith-filled men and women. This cloud of saints that surround us, as Hebrews would tell us. And while it's a relationship that is tenuous at times, there is a heavenly design and purpose for the church. Come on, I said that there is a heavenly design and purpose for the church. Specifically who she is as it pertains to the ecclesiastical leadership and general body of believers that make it up. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So let's look at the church from a 30,000 foot view. This term that we need to familiarize ourselves with, ecclesiology, is, and I quote from the Dictionary of Theological Terms, the area of theological study concerned with understanding the church, derived from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning church, ecclesiology seeks to set forth the nature and the function of the church. It also investigates issues such as the mission, ministry, and structure of the church, as well as its role in the overall plan of God. Both Big C Church all across the world, which we are a part of as believers, and then Little C Church, the local church with its distinct fingerprints and nuances within communities all across the world. When we read the book of Acts, we are launched into the formative days of both the mission and development of the church. It's in these formative days that we see the different iterations of ministry focus, leadership development, organizational capacity and capability, as well as as general reach and impact. From 120 believers in an upper room, experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, to 3000 people added to the church as they profess their desire to follow Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Now, many would agree that the book of Acts covers roughly 30 to 35 years of the early church's progress and growth. And what we know is, as Paul's letters found in the New Testament would have been authored during moments of his missionary journeys, and they're captured in the book of Acts when these take place. So we now have both in the book of Acts and the subsequent New Testament letters that provide us with some of the most robust information that we have on the nature, the character, the activity in the formation of the ecclesia. This would be much of where our ecclesiology comes from, scripturally speaking. As well as what we've seen through the centuries of church growth and maturity. Y'all with me still? Yes. Upon further examination, we see very specific distinctions that can be made about what the church is, every shot is, is, and what the church does, every shot does. does. Every shot is, is, every shot does. does. Those are the two things that I wanna look at for just a few moments together today. First, the church is a body. The church is a body. This is about how we relate to one another, and Paul comments about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, as he writes, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given the the one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. So there's a relationship that is spoken about how we interconnectedly work with one another as the body. The second thing is that the church is a bride. And this is about how we relate to the future and return of Christ and our perspective and our perseverance in holiness and purity as a church. Second Corinthians 11, one through four, just so you guys pause for just a second, you are gonna get a truckload of scripture today. So just know that none of this is my opinion, we're doing Bible, is that all right with everybody? Okay. I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. This is Paul speaking. I love this piece of scripture. Yes, do put up with me. That is a pastor's prayer, okay? And then he writes this, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present you a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, listen to what he says: you put up with it splendidly. In other words, Paul is saying that if you're not careful, if the church is not careful, we can have a cultural we can have a cultural affair on Jesus. So the church is a bride. Third thing is the church is a building or a household. Now don't think about this as a functional issue, although that's a part of it, but rather think about it as as communicating that there is to be a foundation to which the church is built upon. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, come on, in him, in him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. The church is a priesthood. This is about the role and the responsibility of us as believers, those of us who profess to be believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. And this is about being called out once again. Peter helps us with this truth as he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses one to five. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, there it again, are being built into a holy priesthood to do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That spiritual spa- sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, verses one to two, tells us is us. We are a living sacrifice that is to be offered to God, the totality of who we are. He wants your mind, he wants your heart, he wants your body, He wants your marriage. He wants your kids. He wants your sexuality. He wants everything that you are. So the church is a priesthood that offers sacrifice and you and I are the sacrifice. Every day, living sacrifices. The church is a flock. (laughs) Meh. This imagery helps us see that we are sheep in relationship to Christ as our shepherd. He's not just a shepherd, but he is a good shepherd. Come on, somebody. John 10, 14 through to 18, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd, and this is why the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. This is Jesus saying, just so you know, that the enemy didn't win, that he willingly and with resolve went to the cross. He laid down his life and his life would be picked up again. He says, I have the right to lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. And I have received this command from my father. The church is a branch. This describes the union and communion necessary for the church to receive nourishment from Christ and His Spirit. The purpose of abiding is to bear fruit. Yeah. Vitality and strength are found in and through abiding. John chapter 15 verses one to eight, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read all this scripture, but Jesus is giving us a discourse as to what it means to remain and to abide in Christ. That from there we find vitality and we find everything that we need in order to produce fruit. And the problem that many of us are facing right now is that we want all of the fruit and we want none of the surrender. We want all the fruit and we don't wanna be a branch. But again, the truth that we're looking at through scripture is that the church is all of these things. And that's just a snapshot of what the church is. A Couple of descriptions of the church. Now we turn our attention to what the church does, or Bishab does. And this is an important work for us to do because if we're to understand the interdependent relationship between all of us who are part of God's house, we have to dig into this stuff. Y'all with me? So let's look at what the church does. The church worships. The church worships. Let's call this the actional distinctives of our purpose. The church worships. Three important Greek words. I'm gonna have the team just throw them up really quick. Three important Greek words we must be aware of when it comes to the posture and presentation of our worship as the church. Can I please tell you today, that worship is not just seen in hands raised in a service on Sunday. The church's worship looks like, first Greek word, to bow and prostrate one's self before the Lord. Second Greek word, to worship means to present priestly service, sacrifice. We talked about that a moment ago. Third Greek word is to have reverence and or fear of God, not boo, I'm scared of God, but what would happen if the author and the creator of life stepped out of the heavens and walked into our service today and stood right next to you and placed his hand upon your shoulder? What would you do if he walked into the room? Would there be awe? Would there be reverence? Would there be a bowing and a posture that says, I am humble before you, God? (laughs) That's what it means to worship. Other realities of our worship would be communion or the Lord's Supper. Found in Acts chapter 20 and verse seven and many other verses, we've got communion sitting in the back, back there so that you can take communion every single week. And as a church, our pastoral team right now is trying to flesh out how that looks in the context of, an, of a quickly growing church that is nuanced in its faith allegiance on the weekend. Another form of our worship is in tithes and offerings. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse two, and many other segments of Scripture as well, that the giving of our resource is not just some obligatory reality that Christians have to do because the church likes money. <laughs> Come on, your giving is worship. Come on, I said our generosity is worship. <laughs> The obedience and tithes and offering, that's worship. When you, when you walk out of here and you stick something in the box or you give on push pay or you send something in the mail, can I tell you that that is worship unto God? That's what the Bible teaches us and it is a sweet smelling sacrifice. Yeah. And then he tells us that singing and music is a part of our worship. First Corinthians 14 verse 26, Ephesians 5 verse 19, Colossians 3 verse 16. So the church does worship. The church has instruction. That's where it gets quiet. (laughs) This is probably one of the most important aspects of what we are to be doing in the context of the local church. Many of Paul's letters were directed as to how this was to be done, as well as the content to which the church should be taught. In one of the strongest discourses concerning this issue, Paul the apostle would charge a young Timothy to pay attention to his teaching, to be confident in it and to not hold back because this is what the people entrusted to him needed. 2 Timothy 3, 10, all the way through chapter four and verse five says this, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Come on, praise Jesus. In fact, all who wanna live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you'll be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from the infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I just wanna reiterate, all scripture, from the front of it to the back of it. Nothing is removed and nothing is added. All scripture is profitable for our education in faith. So at the beginning of chapter four, he then writes this, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus. This is now the implications upon those of us who teach, who is going to judge the living and dead. And because of his appearing and his kingdom, he says, preach the word be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's popular and when it's not popular when people wanna hear it and people don't wanna hear it. Preach it when it doesn't feel good and when it feels great. Keep on preaching the word, give your attention to it, give your life to it. Why? Because the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hard, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The teaching and instruction that we are to receive in church is designed for a very specific purpose, and that's to bring the church into maturity. And this is what the book of Ephesians tells us, in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through to 16. You notice how we're just point, Bible, point, Bible, point, Bible, y'all with me right now? All right, and and he gave himself some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity. How is that maturity measured? Well, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with the cleverness and techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. It's beautiful truths that our faith rests on. We'll touch on this particular piece of scripture again in a few moments, but I want us to pay attention to verse 13 as it speaks to what maturity is measured by, and that is the fullness of Christ. And it's with this measurement in place, he then tells us that the church will no longer be children thrown around by the waves and the wind of different teachings in the world around us, that we won't be enticed by myths and half-truths, that we won't be overcome by our current secular moment and indoctrinated by secular liturgies and words of deceit. See, Paul assesses the problem and why ecclesiastical teaching is important because there is a proclivity, come on somebody, to gather various teachers in order to appease our itching ears. You know, the truth is that many of us are looking for what I call bounce houses in Babylon. Places and spaces that make me feel good. So I have a dose of adrenaline and a dose of dopamine to then head back out into the world to which I'm being crafted and curated by. The church is not meant to be a bounce house in Babylon. It's meant to be a kingdom refuge to which we can enter into, find everything that we need by the body that's being put together. And then we step out in the world to which God has called us to be in. And we do so with strength and vibrancy. Why? Because I've been filled with the spirit and his fruit is being birthed in me. And now I am the person that God's called me to be. And so it's profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. (laughs) Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Now our instruction the Bible tells us in Acts chapter five, verses 25 through the 32 is to be bold and without reserve. Listen to what it says. Someone came and reported to them, look. (laughs) You have to read it that way. (laughs) The men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. And after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Church, we must realize that this is not a new cultural moment for us. To be told not to teach in his name is not a new cultural moment for us. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. (laughs) The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you've murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Y'all still with me today? Yes. So the church engages instruction, teaching. The church engages in fellowship. Fellowship seems to have lost its relevance and seems to be a dated terminology that we're trying to bring back. If JT can bring sexy back, the church is gonna bring fellowship back. Yes. Can I get an amen in church today? (laughs) But it's actually, it's very important truth to rally around is there's an important distinction that is associated with fellowship. To fellowship means to share. And the emphasis upon, upon this issue is our unity and oneness. Come on, I said upon our unity and oneness and it's significantly more potent of a word than our current cultural assessment of a simple community. And I'm going to try to change our language around here. I believe the sacred paths and the ancient ways are the things that we need to start hearkening back to. Your CrossFit box can be a community. Starbucks could be a community. Your restaurant could be a community. Your neighborhood block could be a community. And those are beautiful things, but to be a fellowship is very different than a community. The church is not a CrossFit box. The church is not a cul-de-sac. The church is not a restaurant. The church is not a library. Live- The church is the church of the living God to which we fellowship and there is oneness and unity. To share is seen in the breaking of bread and prayer. That bread has a purpose, it's to acknowledge the death, burial, the shed blood and broken body of Jesus for our sins and the remission of those sins. So then Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter two, verses one to four, something very powerful and very sobering for us. Listen to what he writes. He says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Come on somebody. Man, what a beautiful, <laughs> true. And it's with that statement of scripture that it bring us to a conversation that we need to have today and momentarily concerning the issue of the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. Over the weekend, Eric and I have been inundated with texts, emails, DMs concerning the ruling that has just been made by the Supreme Court. We understand that in the room today, there are various thoughts, feelings, and opinions concerning this issue. While there is a lot that we will be saying concerning this issue, It will not all be said today. However, as your pastor, I do need to say some things that are important to us as a church that we must understand. First, Erica and I and our pastoral team will not be bullied, pressured, or be given an ultimatum when it comes to speaking to the unique complex issues of the day. Erica and I take the Christian witness of this gospel fellowship very seriously. Our words, our writing, and our social media are measured very carefully, and we will continue to give great attention as to how we use each of those platforms for the proclamation and teaching of God's word. Trust me when I say that we are very aware of what is happening in the world around us. And this pastoral staff specifically is well able to speak to it, counsel it, and deal with it. Do not see silence on our social media as acquiescing to the culture and the world around us, but rather see silence as our measured ability to articulate the truth and the Word of God, how we see fit and are inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so. Two. With that being said, concerning the current ruling that has been handed down by the court, I offer these thoughts. Here at the well, we believe in the sanctity of life and the unique fingerprint that God intrinsically has placed on his creation as proclaimed by his word. The word that holds all things together. So therefore I celebrate it. All life is seen as valuable. Precious and deserving of the opportunity to live to the fullness of God's plan for their life. We believe that life starts not just at conception, but long before as God speaks to us in the book of Psalms, telling us that before we were formed in the womb, that he knows us and our days are numbered by him. I understand, however, that this idea is not shared equally by everyone, and I would acknowledge that there is even a spectrum concerning this issue today here in this room. My job as a pastor is to, as we just discussed, bring teaching, correction, yeah. and articulation of God's word in order to build up the body in growth and maturity. Yeah. That maturity is measured by the full stature of Christ. Yes. Yeah. So to that end, as we deal with what has, been, has taken place, I offer these truths concerning those I have just mentioned. To the unbeliever who is potentially in this room today, we give compassion. We may not agree, but we don't don't need to hate each other. We may not agree, but we can work together in relationship. To the seeker, we point to truth. We do not wanna sell you something that is not representative of the full truth of God's word. We do not wanna bait and switch you into this church, and so we must be cleared up front as to where we stand on certain cultural issues that are in our time. To the follower of Jesus, I bring correction. If you are a professing follower of Jesus, our first port of call is to live a life that is in submission and service to God's word. We do not have rights, we serve a king. These truths are important because we realize that to the politician, this is a political issue. To the woman, this is a rights issue. To the underprivileged, this is a provision issue. But to the Christ follower, this is a theological issue. And now I say this humbly, with great weight today. And just please hold and let me get through all of this. To those who have found themselves Christ's followers are not. In the situation and circumstance where your only option was to abort a pregnancy, I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, our heart, our team's heart. We love you, we are for you, and God loves you more than you will ever know. Shame is not God's portion for your life, and you will not receive that from us. Here's what you will receive from us. And this is the mission of the well. You will receive from us a place to softly land. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Please do not allow the pundits and the social media voices give you insight to who we are. And the reason I'm addressing this today is so that if you need to go back and know who we are, you were either in the service or you can rewind it online. And as I said, Erica and I and the rest of our pastoral team are here to work through, yes. speak to, counsel, cry with, and work out our salvation daily with you because that is what the beauty of the gospel fellowship is about, Jesus at the center of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. The church participates in ministry. I say this after all that because I want you to hear now the heart of the church. A few distinctions that we find throughout Scripture is we evangelize. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, 11, verse 19, verse 20, chapter 16, verse 31, chapter 17, verse 12. We exercise spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 8 through 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. The church exercises. Church discipline, two reasons. One, due to immorality, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Second reason, due to false doctrine, 2 Thessalonians 3:14, 14, 2 John chapter 10. But then Paul submits to us, with all of that being the case, Paul submits to us that there is a motive and a tone and a directive associated with our ministry as a whole, but discipline exactly, and this is what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So let each person examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. And then then the church does something else very specifically that I appreciate deeply, and that is we care for the needy, specifically widows and orphans. The downtrodden, the cast out, the underprivileged and the underserved. James chapter 1, verse 27 tells us what undefiled religion looks like and 1, Tim- 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses one through eight, helps us understand how to actually care and do some of these things practically. I say that all to say this, is that I make the statements that I do from a theological perspective as to what we believe in here as a church and what we adhere to but I also secondly say that we put our money where our mouth is, and that we are constantly working to reach people, help people, care for people, no matter what their situation and circumstance, okay? When we give in our legacy offering, when we, when we do ties and offerings around here, it is the mechanism, one of the mechanisms that is used to actually produce the ministry work, the gospel work that we are doing in this city, in this nation, and in this world. Yeah. The church is organized, sometimes. (laughs) The truth is is that God is a God of order and He loves order. He's fascinated by order. He, He freaks out over order. And it's good and it's necessary. See, the church is to organize itself so that everything that we have talked about thus far is able to take place in such a manner that brings glory and honor to God. Now there are a lot of people that clamor and decry the organization of the church, failing to realize and understand that since its formation, the church has been organizing itself in a constant state of evolution as it responds to the specific needs and nuances of the culture and context that it has been designed to reach. The machinery may look different at different times, but the message always stays the same. And so within the organization of the church, the organizing of the church, the ecclesia, we see two groups of people, the priesthood of believers and the ecclesiastical leadership. Now I spend a lot of time talking about what the ecclesiastical leadership does. We care and we direct and we teach and, and, and we form and, and, and help create moments of formation and help, in, help us engage in worship. But then there, that's our responsibility. And we're to do so with character and integrity and consistency and love and patience, all of those things. But we're not the only one that has a job around here. The church is the priesthood of believers. And so you are, as we read earlier, to come to him as living stones, a spiritual house are being built into a holy priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that looks a, different, a couple of different ways. It means engaging, but here's something really important that we need you to understand today, is that those who are in ecclesiastical leadership are not more important than the priesthood of believers. Come on. And that's what's happened. That's when things got twisted and things got weird is somehow, we, because we stand on platforms, can I, just, can I normalize things for us in here? Okay, this is why I stand on a platform because down here it's harder to see. This platform is not to add power. It's to make me taller. Come on, somebody, it's to make me taller. But I have a fun, it's to make Sarah taller. (laughs) But I have a function. As ecclesiastical leadership and authority, I have a function. Our pastors have a function. Our staff have functions. Our lay ministry people have functions. But this means that there is no separation or mediation that is necessary for us to commune with God you don't need us to go to God. (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) Come on, I say, you don't need us to go to God. You can receive from Him. You can minister to God by presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. The funny thing is though, is that many of us, we want all the reception and none of the submission. Priesthood of believers. As author J.V. Fesco put it, that all believers are priests means that not only ministers, but also the person in the pew has the right and the authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of the Bible. However, that does not disregard the very purposeful design and application of ecclesiastical leadership. J.V. Fesco comments once again on this issue as he writes, every person therefore who is united to Christ shares in his priestly office. But this great blessing does not mean that we should reject authority function and the office of the minister. We are indeed a holy nation and kingdom of priests. Christ dispenses this holy office to all Christians through the outpouring of the spirit. But in in addition to this blessing, Christ has also given the church gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The shepherds and teachers of the church are priests just like the rest of the body of Christ but the Spirit uniquely gifts them so that they can equip the church for their own growth in grace and the proclamation of the gospel. This amazing pastoral staff that we have is varied in giftedness, varied in their skill and their ability. And the beauty that's happening amongst this pastoral team is that we have the grand ability to be able to point in different directions when you need that. Can I just tell you this today, church? You do not get the best ministry from Jason Parish. But that's what we do. He's the senior pastor. He must have like more power. No. I have tighter jeans, but not more power. <laughs> but I may I may point you to Pastor Kaisa so she can care for you and pray for you because she has a unique ability and skill set. I may I may send you over to Dr. Lori. Because she's Dr. Lori. <laughs> I may may send you over to Pastor Dave. You know what I'm saying? Because he's got wisdom beyond his years and and he's a fireman at the same time. So we send all the fires into his office. (laughs) I may send you to Pastor Sarah because she cuts through all the stuff and just goes straight for the heart of things. She may be small in size, but she's large in stature. I've been wanting to say that forever. (laughs) May send you to Pastor Howie. He's an incre- incredibly deep man yeah, who has yeah. grand education yeah. and in many ways is more equipped to speak to certain things than I am. I right. me send you to Pastor Erica because she is going to go straight at things as well and she is going to help problem solve and she's gonna help see things from a different perspective and she's got a wealth of scriptural knowledge that's gonna help bring freedom to your life. Yeah. This is your pastoral team. Yeah. This is what we do, but guess what? You may not reach us one day. And it's not because we think we're better than. It's not because we're off gallivanting or doing nothing. But what you get to do, above all else, is outside of us. You get to go to the good shepherd. Come on, somebody. The good shepherd, the overseer of your soul. So Hebrews chapter 13, as I land this plane. Verses one to 17, I'm not gonna read it all, we will communicate some very important truths for us that we need to know as a church. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality for by doing this, some have welcomed angels and guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Verse seven. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be led, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be established by grace. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, therefore through him let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders, submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So as I invite the team up, I leave us with five important truths that we must understand in light of all of this. <laughs> Come on, everybody, shout number one. Here's the first truth. Where there is pain, there will always be people. Where there is pain, there will always be people. Can I just say this to us today? Church hurt, which many of you have experienced in this room. Church hurt goes both ways. You get hurt. Can I just tell you that this church, the church that I pastored, has hurt us. But you know what we don't do? Is give up on it. We don't give up on it. We don't trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus with the relational space of this church. Where there's people, there will be pain. Listen, somebody's gonna bump into you one day. Somebody's gonna say something stupid one day. Can we just talk real in church? Somebody's gonna post something on Facebook or Instagram and you'll be like, I thought I knew you. (laughs) The only place that you will ever be able to find yourself that is void of people pain is marooned on an island with Wilson as your friend. (laughs) Wilson! Where there's pain, there will always be people. Number two, everybody shout number two. Where there is a mission, there will always be responsibility. The mission of the church is not the responsibility, the weight of that is not on the shoulders of a few pastors and a paid staff. The mission of the church is the responsibility of the church. Yeah. So we engage in that mission a couple different ways. First, giving, get engaged that way, ties, offerings, generosity. It's worship as we just learned. Serving, get on teams, be here, come to one service, two service. There's thousands of people that call this place home. Yeah. You can meet more than you think. Yeah. And then I wanna encourage you with something that I've, we've been talking a lot about as a pastoral team. I wanna challenge you to grow. I wanna challenge you to grow. And one of the ways that you do that is through our foundations course or getting involved with the Timothy Project. I challenge you to grow as a believer if you call yourself one. Where there's a mission, there will always be a responsibility. Number three, every shout number three. Three. Where there is order, there will always be authority. Come on, somebody. There will be leadership, there will be authority, there will be people who have been set in places and spaces of that so that we can help direct traffic. If I could boil all of my study down as to what a pastor is, this is what they are. A pastor is an air traffic controller. And all we do is this to make sure that no one dies in the process. People going, people coming, people hurting, people laughing, people weeping, people rejoicing, people confused, people, y'all see what I'm talking about? And the church is like, a pla- there's, there's no other place like it. There's no other place like it. It is, a, it is a beautiful disaster. As one preacher calls it, it is brutal. Number four, we shot number four. Where there's humility, there will always be grace. If the church would humble itself, grace. Grace does not find pride. They're mutually exclusive. But where there's humility, there will always be grace. And number five, last one, I promise. (laughs) Where there is an invitation, there will always be salvation. So it's with all of this in mind today that I submit to you all of these truths. And I pray that they inform you and challenge you and shape you into a more secure, able, and convicted follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. And I wanna invite many of us in this room today to pray a prayer that we pray every single weekend around here. And that is the prayer to which those of us who have yet to say, Jesus, be my Lord and be my savior. This is your opportunity. Say yes to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around today, if that's you and you would say, man, Jason, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna give him a life. I wanna follow him. I want him to be the center of who I am, This marriage is. I wanna be a part of this party that We call believers. If that's you today, pray this prayer with us. We're all gonna pray it together so we don't leave anybody out. But come on as loud as you can today. Would you repeat these words after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past, I'm giving you my right now. I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I am presenting myself as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name.